You're listening to The Mix Podcast, where we explore user behavior, emerging technologies, and how to design better digital experiences. So I was always working on other people's services. You know, since I started, it was never my own idea. And uh, after you work so many years developing really good skills in designing, I think many people are curious about what it's going to be like if you actually create your own thing. Can you create something that people really want? I think that's a great question to ask yourself as a designer. Hi, I'm Marek Pawłowski, founder of Mex, and that was Gil Kahana, co-founder and CEO of the products company ChattyFeet. As you might have guessed, Gil wasn't always in the business of running his own brand. Like many of you listening to this and several of the guests that I've talked to in recent episodes of this show, Gil began his career as a designer, working in user experience roles for big companies like the BBC and then agency side for some pretty well-known digital agencies on everything from projects for handset manufacturers to investment banks. And all of that changed a few years ago when several things aligned to inspire Gil to launch his own startup. And our chat on today's podcast is really the story of that journey, what it's meant for him as a designer, how he's embedded a user-centered approach in the business, and how he hopes to continue to focus his own role on design leadership as the business grows. Before we get into the interview, a reminder that our next MEX dinner is happening this week in London, Thursday, 21st of June. There are just two seats left at the table. So if you'd like an invite to come and join some of your fellow listeners to the podcast, designers, strategists, technologists, for a relaxed get-together over some good food, just drop me an email. It's designtalk at mobileuserexperience.com and I can send you over the details. Now I'm going to be back at the end with another kind of invitation for you, but for now, here's my interview with Gil Kahana. Hope you enjoy. Gil, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time to join me this afternoon. Uh, Now, I've got to ask you one burning question, which I've had on my mind, given the line of work that you're in these days. What socks are you wearing? Uh, Well, uh, today I'm wearing uh, Fit Mondrian socks, which is uh, a design inspired by a famous artist. So if our listeners aren't already starting to think this is going in a strange direction, I suppose we probably ought to explain a little bit about why the socks are relevant. So Mondrian is one of the lines that you have for your chatty feet business, am I right? Yes, that's correct. I've been um, working on a brand called uh, Chatty Feet over the last five years. And uh, what we do is we help people to have more silly moments in their life by wearing funny character socks with names like Kate Midoto, Fitasso, Fit Mondrian that we mentioned before, or the Sock Father. And uh, yeah, it lets you wear a different character every day. Uh, when I first heard about these and, and you got in touch, I must say I was fascinated by the product. Um, I love the the humor of it and the way you've managed to capture some of those little sort of silly humorous moments in 
an accessory which I think is, is possibly one of those ways that allows people to express themselves, uh, you know, uh, in an otherwise quite sort of conservative outfit that they might be wearing. Uh, but uh, I was surprised because the last time I think you and I had spoken, you were in a very different role uh, as an experienced design consultant. Now, if we go right back, I'm curious as to what kind of designer you set out to be, because it seems to me that you've uh, ended up having, you know, quite a dual career in many ways. Um, yeah, you went down one path, but now you've ended up in a slightly different one. But if you go right back to when you were graduating in 2004, 2005, I think. Yes. You know, what was what was the goal? What kind of designer did you, you want to be at that point? That's a good question. So, yeah, I'm, I think I'm, I'm a very curious type. I, I always uh, like to do different things. There, there wasn't just like one topic that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Uh, one thing I knew since I was a kid is that I was really interested in psychology. And uh, there was even a point that I thought that I'm going to study psychology in a university. But somehow, because of friends that I knew, I decided to give a try to design studies. And uh, that's how I ended up being a designer. When I, when I started, um, I was sort of like graphic designer, multimedia designer. And I really enjoyed doing this. But I think that um, when I was introduced to user experience at the BBC, uh, after I graduated, uh, it was fascinating and I found something that I was very, very passionate about. Uh, the main thing for me was uh, the exposure to users. So uh, before, when I was studying graphic design, we were working on communication and posters and identity and that was really fun and I had a, a great time doing it. But the moment I understood that there is a field in design that deals with users' problems, talk with them, get insight, and let that affect your design, that was a, a brilliant moment in my career. And I just sort of liked to do that for, for many years. So I was working a lot on um, mobile applications, and even one very serious project was about redesigning a trading system. And I like this idea of moving between project different uh, missions uh, but the core was there which was about understanding users and was that something that your course at university prepared you for because i'm thinking you know in this sort of era i guess 2004 2005 was when we were starting the mex initiative and i remember at that time that there was still a sense that user experience was very much something in its infancy, particularly within the technology industry, that a lot of the terms and practices that we sort of accept uh, as being fairly standard these days weren't yet uh, thought of. They weren't yet established. Uh, but when you were doing that, that course at university, were you able to take things from that and immediately start applying them into that, that role that you went into at the BBC? Um, or was it a case of learning on the job? Uh, it was actually learning on the job. Uh, when I was studying, I didn't know anything about user experience design. Uh, the course itself was uh, much more based about um, design and my, my final project was uh, actually an interactive uh, installation. Uh, but I was very lucky because when I was studying, I got this opportunity to do an internship at the BBC. And that 
that was when I studied about user testing, which I, I didn't know much about then. But after I was doing the internship, I was able to combine some of these new methodologies that I learned and combine it into my final project. So I remember, even with this interactive installation, I ran a user testing session on that. And uh, that helped me to see how it works with people and write some notes and improve it until I had uh, um, sort of a product that I was happy to share in my final show. Interesting. What was the installation? Uh, the installation was called uh, The Space Between Us. And uh, that was another topic that was close to my heart, which was about communication between strangers. So my goal at my final project was to create an installation that will encourage people who don't know each other to communicate. And uh, it was a motion tracking installation. So um, you could move around and there was this series of games that you could play with silhouettes on the screen based on your silhouettes and the person who was standing next to you. Um, I, can share, I can share a link uh, with you to how it looked like so you can uh, see it after. Yeah, that would be very interesting. We can put it in the show notes so that listeners can go and take a look for themselves. Okay, perfect. So once uh, you had taken up that role at the the BBC after you'd, you'd graduated and presumably your final project and your portfolio was starting to uh, impress people. What was the, the moment at which you started to feel that that sort of user-centered process was going to be something that was going to be central to, to your career? Was it right from the outset of doing those initial testing sessions at the BBC or did it take a while for you to, to feel like this was actually going to be the thing that you were going to make your name doing? I think that on my first job, I, uh, I really saw the, the value in uh, working in user experience. Uh, I just, um, I was very passionate about insights and making things that people could understand because the world is full of unuse, unuseful stuff. And that was really frustrating for me. Uh, whenever I encounter a, a product that um, I couldn't use, I always found it really annoying and I didn't understand why people are not putting more care into these products. So um, the moment I saw that there is a way to try to make better products, uh, I was charmed by it and I decided that I want to continue doing it. And luckily I had opportunities to, to use it along my career. So um, I remember at the BBC we were doing a project at London Zoo uh, with giving people mobile phones and let them explore the different animals with getting some extra information on the mobile phone. And we were doing trials there. So it was proper user research session. There were people that were shadowing other people and writing down comments about their experience. There were surveys after the experience asking people about what they've been through and whether they want to have it again. And so I was introduced to a culture that was very much um, research-based, and uh, I absolutely loved it. And I tried to convince people along my career about the importance uh, of doing user research. Uh, the interesting thing is that I also took it forward with my current brand, with ChattyFit. And as I mentioned to you, before we started, uh, we've conducted some user research in fashion hubs uh, in London, so Camden Town and Brick Lane, for example, we were very interested to understand extra information about how people differentiate themselves with fashion. And so we asked them a range of questions. And uh, one of the most interesting insights was about 
that certain fashion garments allow you better expression. So if you think about coats, um, they're usually a little bit less expressive than garments like scarves and socks. And that was very critical for our understanding about what products we want to do. Socks, they are covered most of the day, so they allow you to show them only when you take your shoes off. And that was um, an insight that affected how we created our design and our product. And so, as you can see, I, I think that um, research is not for everyone. Some people find it a little bit boring or they don't know how to ask the right question. Uh, for me, the first time that I was introduced to user research, uh, something clicked. Uh, I think that I will, I will never stop doing it because I really believe that by observing people's behavior, you can become a better designer. So if we go back just a, a little bit with Chatty Feet, uh, before you started doing the, the user research, uh, at that stage, were you still unsure as to whether or not you were going to focus on socks as a particular product? Uh, was it still open as to which particular garment you were going to go for? Like, What, what was the, the seed which um, got the idea for the brand going and how did that then develop into the user research sessions? Okay, so the idea itself came at a friend's gathering. So uh, I really like cooking and I always uh, had uh, friends over for lunch or dinner. And in one of these, we had a really good vibe and uh, I really believe that the, great, the greatest ideas come when you feel comfortable around people that you know. Um, and then at one moment, I just lifted my feet in the air and I could imagine that there's going to be a, a character on my sock. I think that uh, not everyone got it, but I thought there was something there. And a few days after, uh, I spoke uh, with Umberto, who is Chetfit co-founder, and we decided that it's a good idea and we can try it. And so regarding a question about whether we knew it's going to be socks or not, this, this was our main idea. But if we were going and doing this user research and, fi and finding out that there is a fundamental issue with creating characters on socks, we might have changed it to something completely different. As I, I shared with you that we also did some desk research and we found out on YouTube that people were drawing characters on their feet and animating them. And that was in a way a validation to the fact that you can have characters on feet, that people can relate to this idea of having characters on their feet. So sometimes the research works in a way that you have an idea, but you're not really sure if this idea is really gonna take off. So you're doing the research to ask the right question and validate whether your assumption, that, because my assumption was it's gonna be fun and people would like having characters on their feet. But I could have been wrong, but because I was asking more questions and getting closer to the problem scope, it helped me to feel more confident about taking the socks idea f forward. So you've done something which I think a lot of the people listening to this show, whether they share your particular interest in socks um, or not, will probably be a little envious of. You've made that leap from being someone who over the course of a number of roles, was essentially an advisory, a consulting 
capacity as an experienced designer, but you've made the leap to create a brand of your own and to start shipping physical product of your own, which, you know, I think in all the conversations that I've had with people on this podcast, there's always that sort of underlying interest that a lot of designers have in doing something like that at some point in their career. But what was it that made you finally feel able to make that leap? Because, you know, it's something which I guess has got all sorts of implications, you know, career-wise, financially, you know, taking on the time and the challenge of a, a startup. Was there something in particular that convinced you that that was the moment to do it? Well, I think that um, it was, for me, it was almost like a natural evolution in my career. So I was always working on other people's services. You know, since I started, it was never my own idea. And uh, after you work so many years developing really good skills in designing, I think many people are curious about what it's going to be like if you actually create your own thing. Can you create something that people really want? I think that's a great question to ask yourself as a designer. And uh, as you said, I think that many people are interested in that. But the reality is that it is a very, very difficult thing to do. And just thinking about like funding and um, the sort of the having the capacity to launch something like that uh, is, is a very tricky thing. What really helped me was first my curiosity. I was very curious to see uh, whether I can do it. And also that um, I had a sort of a easier project to begin with. So after I was working in UX for many, many years, I had this uh, opportunity to create a cookbook because my hobby is cooking and I was working with a friend uh, to create a cookbook and that cookbook was uh, really successful and sold more than 30,000 units. And at that time, I didn't have to run my own business. I just had to design the, the, the book and see it uh, selling in stores. And that was a great insight. I thought, wow, this is the first time I had freedom to design a product of my own with a friend and we've done it together and it really worked. So what would happen if I do other things? Can they work too? So if you see that kind of opened my appetite, the moment I saw that one product was successful, I just thought there is something here that I would like to explore more. Yeah, that's very interesting, that sort of gradual approach to it. I mean, I guess when you look at a, a business or you hear the story of it, often you imagine there was one sort of big bang moment where someone made a leap and, and got stuck into it. But it sounds like it was a little bit more of a, an evolution in your case. But that transition from doing something which is primarily in the virtual sphere in the work that you've done within experience design into something which has a, a physical tangible product that is being shipped to people. I wonder if, if that changed your views on user research methods at all. Like when you think about the kind of user research that you were doing for you know, people like the BBC or the clients that you worked with in the various different consulting roles that you had, have you had to evolve those methods to suit what you're now doing with Chatty Feet? Uh, it's a good question. So as I told you, when we started, I was still had the, I still had the same mindset. So we were going to the street and interviewing people and just asking them to answer questions. So that was not that different than the method that I've done before. But after that, the moment that we started selling online, we became much more data-oriented. 
And uh, when you start your own business, you have to learn something like 10 different new roles to make it happen. So one of the things I had to learn was Google Analytics. And uh, a lot of the data, the research insight now are coming from looking on our dashboards and understanding how people flow through the uh, experience of the e-commerce shop. So um, there is a sort of a different type of research for, I think, for product and a different type of research for um, your shop. I think that uh, what we talked about at the beginning was a lot about validating the product idea, which is very important in early stages. But then when you actually have the goods there and people are buying it, it's very important that you get insights and uh, sometimes have the time to look into behavior. So in the past, um, let's say I was working on a mobile app, I would create a paper prototype and I would um, ask a person to do some tasks, right? I'll, I'll go and I'll say, okay, you know, here's a task. How would you do that? And I would observe how do they uh, behave uh, with a paper prototype. Now I have an online shop and I can look on some of these aspects via these dashboards um, I, I think that it's good to always have a combination of uh, looking on data in this way, but also sometimes to have one-to-one session. So still once in a while, if I want to understand something about how our shop works, I will sit down with a person and ask them to go over certain pages and see whether they actually understand what's going on. And another thing that really helps me now is emails, actually. So um the moment there is a problem on our website, we, we tend to get people complaining about it. And once you see a complaint coming in again and again, it raises a flag and you understand that you have an issue and then you have to put some time to solve it. So and the, the understanding of how people behave changed slightly in the sense that now I have more mechanism to do it. In the past, I had to do it much more manually and had to go uh, on a one-to-one session. And now I have other tools like, as I said, Google Analytics and emails that help me to understand the status better. So have you given thought to how that scales as the business grows and when you as the founder, a founder with a a design background, uh, are unable to spend as much time as you are now on doing that sort of iterative user-centered design approach to these different inquiries? Uh, Have you given thought to how you start to to build a team up around that, how you start to to scale that process if the business does um, take off and and start to grow substantially? Yes. So I think this is something that uh, every uh, business needs to consider. Uh, in the process. Uh, When we started, we had uh, much more freedom to do the process as we want to. And uh, the moment you grow and you have a lot of admin processes on your table and you have to to do things in a little bit of um, a different priority, I would say. And the the thing that really helps is building a strong team. So um, what I know very well is the things that I really want to do in Chatty Fit. I'm, I'm very passionate about design. I'm, I'm still re- very interested in user experience. So in a way, even if the business is going to be very big, much bigger than now, I would still like to be involved in these processes. So um, 
in order for me to be able to continue doing it, in order to still be a, a user-centric business, uh, what you can do is you can have a team that helps you with the other things that maybe you think that you've done enough of. So, for example, I know that with sales, there are people who can do that better than me. With marketing as well, there used to be a time that I had to do uh, these roles by myself too. But now... Uh, it's time to delegate some of these uh, activities. And uh, I think it's uh, Richard Branson who's always saying that it's a good goal to find people that can do some of the things better than you. And I really believe in that. I, I think that um, running your own business forces you to do much more than when you're working in an office job. But it doesn't, say, it doesn't mean that you need to do these things forever. Uh, there is a moment when you're growing that you need to decide uh, what kind of things you're really contributing well to the business and what kind of things you need to let go of. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I feel the same about user experience design as, you know, 10, 15 years ago. It's something I really enjoy. So even if the business is going to be much bigger than now, I think that I'm still going to be part of that. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And I mean, you, you mentioned Virgin there, I guess, as an example of a, a business where uh, the leader ends up having a continuing sort of ongoing role in the, the creative development of the company as well. But uh, are there others that you look to other businesses that you uh, have inspired you along this way where there's that strong uh, design lead from the founder of, of the business because it, it seems to me this is becoming something which is a little more common these days you know if you look back a few years ago the idea of a designer um, being a, a founder and a CEO of a business wasn't all that common but now there, there seems to be a growing appetite for that I mean are there particular ones that you're following and uh, and looking for, for tips and inspiration from? Uh, well, there is um, there is uh, just I think a culture that I'm inspired more more than uh, specific businesses. So uh, I always I always liked small businesses, and uh, I always felt that very large businesses sometimes can lose the human aspect of running a business. So um, for me, actually, small is beautiful, and uh, when I see other small businesses that keep their integrity even when they're growing, that is very inspiring. So um, I remember um, being inspired by uh, 37 Signals, uh, talking about how they um, run their operation. And uh, I remember that the founder was saying that um, people can work from anywhere and that they have to come to the office, I think, once or twice per week. Um, and he measured the work by what's actually happening and uh, I really, I really like that idea, and I think that was for me a really nice model to look at, because um, I think that when you run your own business, you get a little bit more flexibility to think about these processes and w what is the optimal way for you to work. And so this is something I, I really hope that I can continue doing: is uh, when Checkfit grows is to be like that other small businesses that manage to have more flexible working pattern and uh, getting the best out of people too. So thinking about what is the ideal framework for creative people to work in and uh, how to continue doing great products. So Gil, can you tell me a little more about uh, what we can expect to see with future 
Chatty Feet products. Uh, I know you've got quite a range already, but I'm interested to know, firstly, where you're getting the inspiration for what's going to come next uh, and to get an idea of you know, how that's evolved since you launched those those first products. Okay, so, you know, as you know, we started with socks because that was the first idea that uh, came uh, to our mind. But then uh, what's important to understand that our bigger mission is to make the world a, a, a more chatty place. And what that means is to encourage people to have a more silly life, uh, to be inspired to play a little bit more than what they're used to, because we believe that as you're growing older, there is less and less opportunities to do so. And so the answer to that is that chatty feet can become almost any type of product, but before we decide on what's coming next, we research quite a lot what is the meaning of the interaction with product. So um, I can share with you that we are very close to release iPhone cases. That's going to be our uh, next product. And one of the things that we do before we decide on something new is we will do some prototypes of the um, of that new product and, and think about what would it mean when people interact with it, when they show it to other people, and what are the opportunities in terms of silly moments. So if you think about the iPhone case, when people are speaking on their phone, you will be able to see a character, and that will spark certain type of, of engagement. And you might, you, you might going to be asked a question about it when you spoke on the phone and someone saw that character, people might ask you, oh, what's that character? And that will say something about you. The character that you have on your phone will also be a little bit like your own avatar. So before we start something new, we would like to understand a little bit better what will be the interaction with the product and other people. Um, so um, inspiration comes from almost anything. You know, when I go to a new exhibition or I'm having conversation with people, sometimes it will just be an email from a person who wants to discuss a new character. So ideas are, I see ideas as something very light. They're always coming. The most important thing is actually taking the decision about something after you do some tests. So sometimes there will be a new idea that's coming up and I'm very excited, but then I do I do a few tests, I, I validate, and then I found out it's not such a good idea and that's completely fine. So I think the most important thing about coming up with new stuff is to, to be excited, but also then to come back to earth and to do the tests that are required to validate whether it's an idea that you want to continue with. So what does prototyping with socks look like? I mean, I've obviously <laughs> had uh, experience in prototyping with various different forms of, of digital products, and I think there are some fairly well-established patterns there. But how does prototyping a, a new pair of socks uh, challenge your skills as a designer? <laughs> That's a great question. So we're very, we're very proud of our first uh, sock prototype. And uh, just imagine that moment that I told you about when we had this idea about having socks with characters. So if I told you socks with characters before Chattifit was born, that could mean a hundred different things. You know, where would the character be? What sort of expression would that character have? And there will be like so many different ways of doing it. So when we were in this stage, we thought, yeah, that's going to be a cool idea, but how do we make it happen? We didn't have any connection with uh, factories. We didn't know 
even what does it mean to create a sock? But we still like the creative idea. So what we've done is we took a pair of white sock and uh, a marker, a black marker, and we drew uh, some version of what we thought that idea meant. And what that helps us to do is to actually wear the socks with the character and do some experiment with them. So, for example, we've done some videos with these socks character, uh, characters and uh, we tested whether that idea is feasible by wearing, by wearing this design. So the prototype really helped us to progress the idea. For example, one of the insights for us was that it would be a good idea to have the character on both sides. Because when we were wearing that prototype, we saw that uh, when you have one character on the top, only you can see it. Because when you're taking off your shoes, you see the character on the top of the socks. But if you put the character on the bottom as well, you can lift your feet up and show it to your friends. And that was a very interesting design decision that were, was informed by the prototype because we could actually see what it means to wear that pair of socks with a character. Yeah, I guess it's the equivalent of yeah, that idea of bringing the sort of rough and ready and very fast uh, iterations approach that you get making, say, paper prototypes for a digital app, but just transposing that into the physical environment. So presumably you can move pretty rapidly to try out new ideas with that marker pen and you've got a, a blank template to work with and you can start to see what, what works quickly. Yes, exactly. And I think actually traditionally probably testing was more common with physical product because the benefit of having a physical product was that you had to create the prototype first before you went to production and I think the problem started actually from digital because when we were on the dig digital world not always we had the capacity to create prototype it was much more complicated to code something or you know I think that the digital world took much longer to get into this culture of prototyping than the physical product world. Because if you read about furniture design and stuff, I think they were much ahead of uh, digital product in terms of prototyping. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think there is still that you know remaining sense of the divide between you know, those who are able to code these things you know, in inverted commas for real to make you know, something which is actually fully functional and those whose skills extend to being able to visualize it to work through the different interaction flows and of course those tools are coming together all the time and seem to be on a converging path now where that's becoming easier and easier but when I think back to you know, the beginning of the MEX initiative and when you would have been your, starting your career in this area yeah, there's been a long period when there's still been quite a separation between those worlds and often that's where the design starts to fall down is in not being able to bridge that gap between those different skill sets and things getting lost in translation between the, the design and the, the coding phases yes definitely and i think that uh, the prototyping aspect is such a critical part of uh, everything you do as a designer because um, i think the worst thing that can happen to you uh, if you launch your own business or even work on a design project is that you're going to put a lot of effort into something that is not going to be used. I think this is really sad when that happens. And um, if you spend a very little amount of time to prototype something and to test it and then it didn't work, it's not that bad. You know, that's what they called when they say, um, you know, fail fast or, you know, quick iteration cycle. We're always talking about that because as human beings, we have a limited capacity to create. We can't just create with no end to it. 
Uh, I think we like to create something and then the joy is when you created something that can actually be used. So if you are going to put a lot, a lot of effort into something that's not going to be used at all, eventually it's starting to be very frustrating. So I think that uh, it's a very good idea to constrain the amount of effort uh, so you're doing enough that you can test what you're doing and then inform your decision whether it's worthwhile to continue or not. Well, that perhaps goes back to something you said earlier about the core of the brand and that idea of wanting to encourage people to have conversations and interactions off the back of these products that you're creating. And, you know, maybe that is an ongoing source of, of inspiration for you. Um, yeah, I don't know whether you hear directly from your customers about what sort of interactions and conversations this has prompted for them. Uh, but looking at, you know, the, the fun and the humor in some of the things that you're doing, you can imagine that these probably are having quite an impact in, in people's lives. And I, I'm curious to know whether you get to, to hear those stories from customers, either informally or, or during the, the sort of user research sessions that you're doing. Yeah, no, definitely. I think the best platform for that is actually social media. So uh, I think the best days uh, for me is if I see someone sharing a photo of Chattyfeet on social, sometimes they can say things like, oh, you know, I had a bad day, but I have Chattyfeet socks with me and they're smiling at me and it has a positive impact on people's lives. That is a very inspiring moment and this encouraged me to do more. And luckily, I think we're getting quite a lot of those. I mean, there are some photos of even families wearing the socks together and uh, expressing a lot of joy while they're doing it. So that's definitely something that makes me very happy when I see it and uh, also inspire you to do more. Have you been surprised by the type of people that are buying the socks? You know, Are they different from the people that you expected and were targeting when you first launched the product? Well, when we, um, when we started, uh, after our first collection, we didn't have a lot of money. And uh, we, we wanted to do the second collection, but it was a bit of a challenge. So we decided to do a Kickstarter project and we managed to get 7,500 pounds, something like that. But the most important thing about that Kickstarter project was understanding a little bit more about who actually buys Chatty Feet. So um, what we saw was that for some reason, illustrators and puppeteers uh, had better reaction to the to the project than others. And at that time, there was not much. There were about f four characters, and we uh, pitched to have another four. So you can imagine, you know, they saw it like emerging brand. But we sent a lot of emails to people, and uh, the people who reacted the best was were puppeteers and illustrators. So there was, um, you know, the illustrator part, I was not that surprised because we are working with illustrators to create character design. So it's quite natural that illustrator would like um, our uh, designs. But with puppeteers, there was something a little bit more surprising because I didn't know whether people who are doing puppets would actually think that characters on the feet is a good idea or not. I thought maybe they will be resentful and thinking, oh, you know, this is not puppets. So, you know, I thought maybe you actually make them feel against it. But I was very happy to see that they loved it and they supported us. Um, the other thing about the audience is um, understanding that Chatty Fit is a gift brand. So what you see is that a lot of people who buy Chatty Fit are people who are buying them as a gift to friends. 
Um, it's not very common that uh, people will buy them just like in a normal sock shop. It's uh, it's more for a gift product. And so that actually, I, I didn't know at the beginning that this is how it's going to be. So that took some time to understand. And as we spoke before about the um, Google Analytics uh, dashboard, that also helps you to understand better who actually buys Chattyfit. Um, so... I mean, I think as a brand owner, you have to understand who who buys it. But in a way, it doesn't really matter to me that much. I need to know who. But then, you know, I, I was not that surprised, say, if one group buys it and the other one is not. It's not something that worries me. It's just something you need to be aware of. Has that dynamic of it being primarily a, a gift-driven business changed how you approach the design of the e-commerce yeah so that actually has an impact on uh, product description and seo so um the moment we realize that we're a gift brand and we have researched keywords that are connected to gift buying and we change the way we write about our products uh, with terms that are relevant to people looking for gifts. At the beginning, our texts were completely random and they were more like a sort of a comedy sketch. Uh, but the moment we started to learn about the audience, uh, it made we, we had to change it and to be more relevant. So uh, the result, are, the chat if it will come up higher in the result when, say, people are looking for a gift for artists or anything like that. What does the path forward look like, Gil? Because it seems that you have had quite a few different avenues to the different ventures that you've been involved in in, in your career. You know, you've had time with agencies, you've had time working with large brands, you've now created a business of your own, you've had the experience of writing a book. Are there things left that you haven't yet had the chance to turn your hand to that you want to try? Or is it all focused on chatty feet for the foreseeable future? Well, at the moment, I'm I'm very much, you know, into chatty feet as a brand and there's still so much stuff to do. So I would say definitely for the next years, uh, I'm, I, I still want to continue doing it and I'm very passionate about uh, growing it. Uh, but um, as you heard about my personality, I'm, I'm a very curious guy, and I don't think that chatty fit will be, uh, you know, something that I do for life. I think that for these years, I can definitely learn a lot about it, and I really enjoy hiring new people to help with this mission. Uh, but uh, there are other other topics that I was always uh, interested in, and one of them is uh, what I spoke with you before about this. Um, the social aspect of uh, uh, people, say, in public spaces, I was always fascinated about um, how to encourage uh, people to connect, uh, even without knowing each other. So that's another topic that I like, or with cooking as well. I've done one cookbook, and and I'm sure that in the future there's probably going to be more cook-related uh, projects because it's something I really enjoy. About uh, a year ago, I did a bread-making course, and I started baking my own bread. So I have lots of interests, and uh, I just hope that I'll have um, enough time to get exposure to other things that I'm interested in. So if you think about some of the people who are likely listening to this episode and are getting inspired by uh, the way in which you've been able to create this this product business of your own. Where do you think 
people should start if they're coming from the same sort of background that you are as a, a designer and they're thinking about putting their big idea into practice and, and launching a product business of their own what's the what's the starting point what's the the one thing you'd recommend they go and do before they do anything else well i think the starting point should be passion so i don't think you can really start something without having love towards uh, an idea so um i think that's the the main barrier to start something so people have a lot of ideas but they don't always have the passion to these ideas so they say oh one day i want to do this or that but they don't have that feeling that they really want to spend a lot of time and effort on that idea so i think the first thing is finding that passion is um, understanding what is it that you can really bring value with and um, that you can do by spending time with people that you feel comfortable with or getting inspiration by visiting exhibition or traveling and you never know when that moment of this idea that you love will come but i would just encourage people to put effort into getting into this mindset because otherwise it will never come so you need to ask yourself question where where do i feel comfortable with finding new ideas who are the people that feel comfortable talking about new ideas so this this is i think the first barrier to overcome and then the second one which is not less important is the commitment uh, without commitment it's just not going to work because um, usually ideas uh, you, you might have to spend about 5 years until they become serious enough and um, some people have ideas that they're willing to spend a week about and that's it and that's it's not interesting anymore so commitment is super important when we started we uh, decided to meet once per week and that commitment of meeting for few hours per week uh, was what made it happen because sometimes people our friends would say oh do you want to go for a drink or do that or do that and I said no sorry we, we can't we, we have to do something else and we were united in this decision that our meeting is more important than other things for for a very long time so yeah i think these two aspects are the most important and what i would recommend to everyone who wants to start their idea to focus on well i imagine that um people will no doubt have been somewhat inspired by uh, hearing this story from you, Gil. And if they want to see the results of where that passion and commitment has led for you, where's the best place to find out about what you're doing with Chatty Feet and these new products that you have coming for the iPhone cases? So the best place is uh, chattyfeet.com, which is where our online shop is. Uh, you can also follow Chatty Feet on Instagram. That's where we post photos of the socks in different places. But also, if you're in London, you can see them in Tate Modern, the Science Museum, Barbican Center, and National Portrait Gallery. And if you're in the States, you can see them at MoMA Design Store. Well, that's good to know. I think I now have a new mission on my next visit into London to go and search out some of these and, and try them on for myself. But thank you very much for taking the time to come on the show, Gil. It's been fascinating to hear about this journey and the path that you've taken through experience design and on to creating a business of your own. And uh, I do hope you'll keep in touch and let us know how it goes. Thank you, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure. So 
Has that got you thinking about your own side projects, those little sparks of inspiration which could become a brand, a business, something that has the potential to go the distance? I mean, for all the obvious enthusiasm that he has for what he's doing and his wider mission of bringing a little fun and chattiness into the world, I thought Gil was also pretty down-to-earth about the challenges and the commitment needed. Uh, But he's one of a number of people that I've spoken to on this show who have taken their design skills and applied them to making their startup succeed. Uh, My previous guest, Sophia Svantesson, episode 48, is doing it in healthcare. There was Eric Kim at Modo Labs, Craig Bryant at We Are Mammoth. Uh, There's a bunch of different episodes that you might like to go back through in the archive if you're looking for that inspiration you need to make the leap yourself. Now, before I go, I promised you a different sort of invitation in case you can't make it along to our next dinner in London on Thursday the 21st. What I'd like is to hear from those in the Mex community who are running design teams within big brands in really any industry. Uh, I'd like to feature some more conversations looking at the day-to-day of running design departments and the story of what led you into that role. Uh, So if that sounds like you, and you'd like to come on the show to talk about your work and your career, then just drop me an email. It's designtalk at mobileuserexperience.com, and we'll see what we can do to set it up. Don't forget, there are show notes at mobileuserexperience.com with links to everything that we talked about, and I'll be back soon with more. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.